0: Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And here's where I want to start with you today. Jesus said this, alright? Somebody say, this is, this is important. They're all important, but Jesus was speaking. Here's what it says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then a big word, then, somebody say, then. Okay, so there's an order to this, right? Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Then, Jesus says, all these other things will be added to you. What I think you and I are guilty of, I'm going to step on your toes and then we're going to come back around and we're going to be encouraged by Jesus. Fair enough? You okay with that? Yep. So she, Molly's not. Molly's like, no. No. But here here's the reality. Most of the time we're trying to get all these things added unto us so that God will do whatever. Is that fair? I mean I, I most of, most days that we wake up, we are the center of attention. It's just reality. It's human nature. Last week we we talked about why God left you here on the earth, which was to be his witness and he promises you his power. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. We sing that song. Think about that. Jesus said that you will be my witnesses and I'm going to give you the power of God to do it. The Greek word's dynamite the dynamite power of God, that he would explode into your life, but not for all these things to be added unto you, (laughs) for his kingdom, for his kingdom. And so that's an important thing because what happens then is you go later in Scripture into Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, and listen to what Paul tells the people of God. Or not Paul, we don't know. I'm letting the cat out of the bag, what do I think? All right, we don't actually know the author, But here's what the writer of Scripture thinks. Here's what it says. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Wait a second. (laughs) That sounds, in theory, like the complete opposite of what I preach to you every week, doesn't it? Well, the message we preach at Redeemer City Church, if you're new, is that it's always only about Jesus. In fact, Jesus, when he preached after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, told the, told the group he was walking, and he had blinded their eyes so they couldn't see him, and he says to them, I'm going to explain to you all of the scriptures concerning myself. So even Jesus said, it's always only about me. So what, what is scripture talking about? Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. You see, there, there's two things that happen. One, we either walk away from it thinking that, okay, I've had Jesus, now I'm going to kick that ladder out because I'm up on another level. It's not what Paul's talking about. But then there's a whole other side of, of Christianity where, where we think that we don't deserve Christ and therefore we never can get past our sin. We are always in bondage because we can't get over the fact that God would love a sinner like you. It is dumbfounding, but it's also true. You see, Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, he said, It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. That sounds like a redundant statement, but why does he say that? Because we struggle to believe that. We struggle to actually believe that I don't need anything in return. I can give all of myself away. What would it look like if just the people in this room walked into the city of Tampa tomorrow and gave all of your life away because you didn't need anything in return? You just went and served your city because you love God. What would that look like? What would that look like? We're we're studying what that looks like over the next few weeks, but how do we get there? How do we get there? Can you imagine being that first church that was being planted? And the Bible records here in the beginning of Acts that there was about 120 people. We had more than that on Easter, just to just to give you like this was not a big group. This is like a church plant of our size. And they're up there and Jesus has told them to wait, remember? I mean, we, don't, we struggle to wait as it is. But can you imagine if you had, remember last week's scene in Acts chapter 1, where, where Jesus rises from the dead. He spends 40 days appearing to people. And then they watch him float into the clouds. And then the angels are like, hey, what are you standing here looking at? And, you know, just in that moment of honesty, we're like... God, (laughs) he just floated into the clouds. What do you mean, what am I looking at? I'm looking at God. He just floated away. It was awesome. And the angels say, no, no, no. You have an assignment. You are on mission. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That you would go into the world and be my disciples with his power. And so that's where we're left. But what I think is important is that, those first moments, we get some foundational pillars, we get some foundational things that God has put in place in his church. Very important. So go go to the book of Acts if you haven't already. Acts chapter one. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you five things that I think are important for us as we consider what that first century church did for our twenty first century. Church. Verse twelve starts this way, okay? So we, we you remember last week we went through this incredible scene of Jesus ascending back to heaven, and then the promise is made that the Holy Spirit is coming and that it will be yours and it will come on you with power. Great power. That was the scene that we had, and the disciples are sent away because they have an assignment, they have a mission. So that's what just happened. And then a very important word in verse 12, if you like to underline, get out your pen and circle this word, it says, then, it's a really important word, it might seem insignificant in the English language, but this is an important word because I have a question for you and it's number one in your notes if you're taking notes, how will you respond to the mission of God? That's an important question, isn't it? Because with knowledge comes responsibility. God's told you. He's told me. He's told us as his church, his bride, his body, his missionaries left on earth what we are to be doing. But the question is, how will you respond to the mission? How will you respond to the mission? And it's an important question because... So many of us choose not to respond to the mission. We come and we take in and we never give out. How will you respond to the mission? It says, then, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the room up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas. <laughs> How would you like to be that guy? After everything that just happened, uh, here's, a, here's another Judas, the son of James. Not that Judas. I'm Oswald bin Laden. I'm not Osama bin Laden, right? Like, that would be awful, right? Can we just point out that the Bible's still funny? Man, that's a tough gig. You're going to be the disciples named Judas after that all happened. Not that guy. Here's what it says. Listen to verse 14. What an awesome thing. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves. It's important. What did those first people, think about that, who saw the risen Christ... And then saw the risen Christ ascend away and give them a promise that the Holy Spirit was coming. What was the first thing that they did? They devoted themselves to prayer. Is that important? They devoted themselves to prayer. Together with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. By the way, that, that, that little extra statement together with the women was wildly scandalous. Church leaders do not gather together with the women, they just didn't. But didn't God leave an incredible legacy that all through the Old Testament and in the new, into the New Testament that God was using women when it was so countercultural? It's awesome. But there's three things that happen there. The first one is that prayer is our first response, not our last resort. If you're taking notes, number two is prayer is our first response, not our last resort. Maybe you're guilty like I am of praying when you suddenly need it. Praying when you suddenly need it. Not praying all the time because you get to. One of the things that we want to do as a church is return back to this first century idea, this first century concept that we pray first. That we pray first that we have the opportunity to talk to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords at any moment, at any time. When he uh, died on the cross, the Bible depicts the scene where the temple veil was torn in two. And for you and I, that's, that's not a big deal. But for the average Christian at that point, the one who believed in Jesus saw that veil split and the temple was open for everybody to see. That never happened before. In fact, if you went in there, God would kill you. The Old Testament priests, when they would go into the tabernacle or into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope and a bell around their foot. And as long as you heard the bell ringing, you knew that God was still okay with the people. But when the bell stopped ringing, you knew God had struck the priest dead and they would drag him out by the rope. It was serious to be in there. But when, as we sang today, the lamb that was slain for your sin and mine died on the cross and made the statement, it is finished, that veil tore and access to God was granted for all people moving forward. What an amazing promise that you can come into the throne room of grace, Hebrews says, with boldness and confidence that you're going to get help In your time of need. We pray first, not last. They were devoting themselves to prayer. What an amazing thing. Goes on though, it says in verse fifteen, see, we're seeing the pillars of the church here. We're seeing the pillars of the church that first they pray. But then notice what happens next. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. God works through leaders. God works through leaders. God works through pastors. God works through his people. Look at what it says. Look at look what Peter did. It says, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. I wonder if he had to clarify that. The other Judas. Not, not you, buddy. <laughs> Notice that God works through leaders. You know, there, there is a movement in the church today, and, and uh, even in our city, to decentralize leadership. But the problem with that is that that's not the way God chose to work. What, what we are going to see unfold here was those uh, apostles, the twelve disciples, the ones who spent time with Jesus, they're going to replace Judas. They're going to replace Judas, and in that we're going to see this sort of blueprint for how we discern the will of God. Because there's two things that happen here. The reason it's so important is because our choices have immediate consequences. What they understood here was they were planting the first church post-resurrection, that for thousands of years, they were that we would stand here right now and we would look back and pattern what we do after what they did. And th- that authority would be critical. And so as, as they seek the Lord, what are they doing? They're devoting themselves to prayer. And then Peter stands up as this responsible party, this one that Jesus looked at and said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter knew that, and he was led by the Holy Spirit to step up to the plate and lead. Later on in Corinthians, we see that when leaders don't lead, the the church becomes corrupt. The church becomes uh, helter skelter. I mean, if you get drunk at communion, we've got a problem, right? That's what was happening in Corinthians. Paul says, "What's going on here?" Do things decently and in order, right? And so God works through leaders. But also notice that leaders don't just do whatever they want to do. I don't get up here and just do whatever I want to do. What did did Peter do? What was the first thing out of Peter's mouth? Brothers, what? Scripture. Brothers, Scripture had to be fulfilled. What do we see for the rest of the New Testament? we see them constantly going back to Scripture. Leaders follow Scripture. That's number three, if you're taking notes. You need a pastor in your life. Hebrews 13:7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, but not just randomly. What does it say? It says, As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. I'll give a good, a good amen, uh, for that would be of no advantage to you. You need leadership. We need leadership. Your pastor needs a pastor. But we have a senior pastor and his name is Jesus. So we see that God works through leaders, but leaders, godly leaders, follow scripture. Because look at what happens as it goes. They're going to make this all-important decision of who will replace Judas as one of these pillars of the church, these leaders who, as you know, if you know your Bible, are going to go out and spread the gospel all around the world to the point that we are here right now worshiping Jesus because they did and followed the mission of God. And, and it's up to us now as the church, the bride of Christ, to go and do the mission of God to, as Jesus prayed, bring God's kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven, but look at look at what they do. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled by which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Notice he's using Scripture to unpack what they ought to do. When you want to know the will of God for your life, you go to your Bible and you ask God, What would you want me to do? Because what you need to do is always in Scripture. The question for you is where will you do it? You see, when you change jobs or you change schools or you change this, or you change that, God's will doesn't change. He says, I'm going to come on you with power to be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, in Jerusalem and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's everywhere, by the way. There's nowhere you're going to go that the mission of God is going to change. The, the mission of God is that you be salt and light on the earth. That you be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's the mission of God. And so if he gave you a math brain, you go be a city set on a hill somewhere that I will never be a city set on a hill. If he called you to be in the military, you go be a city set on a hill in a place that I will never be able to be a city set on a hill. And so here's what they're doing. They're following scripture. They're discerning the will of God for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. That That's encouraging too, isn't it? That one of the people God picked eye to eye, face to face, fell away. As you are serving Christ and as you are calling people to bow the knee to Christ and some of them fall away, it's okay. It happened to Jesus. Judas knew Jesus face to face and was stealing money the whole time and then gave Jesus up and then killed himself. What kind of leadership legacy is that, Jesus? (laughs) It's a real one. That as you do what God's called you to do, not everyone's going to follow. But some will. But some will. Here it goes on. Verse 18, now this man acquired a field. It's interesting that they don't even mention his name. Don't even mention his name. Now this man acquired a field with a reward for his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. I think this is important. You know what's interesting? They're recording these details. Who's the other person that died that they record these details? Jesus. Remember when it talked about the spear going in? You know, the, the Bible uh, is an accurate book. and it's important that we have these details because here we may not think it matters, but it matters that these details are here because they were careful. Luke was is often referred to as the careful historian. It's important because Luke told us in the book of Luke what happened to Jesus, and we can trust it because we can trust this. It's a book of detail. So his bowels gushed out and it became known, To all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written, here we are again, what are we returning to? Scripture. This is not school, you can talk. (laughs) For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. What are they doing? They're recognizing that Scripture has called them, to make a choice. To put somebody in leadership. Because this is going to be the hinge point of history in God's church. What an awesome thing. Leaders follow scripture. And if this leader stops following scripture, you should vote him out. Look at verse 21. What happens after failure? Did you everything think about that? Because here, here's the reality. As you pursue Christ, one thing that binds us all together aside from Christ is what? Starts with an F, ends with an A-lier. <laughs> Failure. Failure. <laughs> Some of you, you'll get that later. All right? Failure. What, what, what's one common thread in all of us? What levels the playing field? We're sinners, we fail, we fall short. Even after meeting Christ, one of the most frustrating things about being a Christian is that I fail, that I fail. But I want you to notice what happens after failure, okay? Because who who else failed miserably besides Judas? Peter. Here's Peter standing up in front of people. This gives me hope every time I think about it. (laughs) Here's Peter, the guy who chops the guy's ear off. I'm going to die with you, Jesus. And he proves it. Chops the guy's ear off. What happened between then and when the girl looks at him and says, Hey, aren't you with Jesus? And he's like, No, no. And then the rooster crows and he fails. He fails. It's the same guy that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And like six verses later, get behind me, Satan. What happens after failure? Look at verse 21. So one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord, Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. What happens after failure? Mission follows failure. If you're taking notes, number four, mission follows failure. The Bible says it this way in the Old Testament, that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. What does it say? It says great is his faithfulness. Right? The glorious truth of the gospel is that the kingdom of God doesn't rest on your shoulders. They rest on Jesus' shoulders. He said, if you join me, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Is that what the mission of God feels like to you? If it doesn't, I have good news for you today. That Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And you can simplify your life by just going to work with a new mission in mind. Because mission follows failure. Regardless of where you are right now, you can tomorrow morning wake up to new mercy and set foot in your job or set foot in your school or set foot wherever God takes you and be on mission because mission follows failure. What an amazing thing. So then it goes on and it says this. Look at how they make decisions here. They have thought about the immediate ramifications of the gospel as they make this decision because they remembered what scripture had told them to do they said it said let another one take his office so they thought about those immediate ramifications for the gospel this thing is about to go god just said he's going to build his church and he's going to use us to do it we got to fill that role they thought about that immediate but look look they also thought about the eternal ramifications of the gospel The fact that you and I would sit here thousands of years later and read this and say, here's what we need to do. Look at how they do it, verse 24. And they prayed. I love that. And and listen to their prayer. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots on them, and a lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. If you want to know the will of God, you've got to go back to your Bible. And then as you move forward, knowing what his will is, and you start to determine where you're going to do it, there's only two things you have to consider. What are the immediate ramifications for the gospel? Not for me, but for the gospel. If I move, who in my life will not have a chance to hear the gospel? If I move where, where I'm going, who has a chance to hear the gospel? Most of the time we think about, well, I'm going to have to sell my house, I'm going to have to buy a new house, do I get rid of my furniture? What are the immediate ramifications of the gospel? Who's going to get to hear about Jesus? Who's not going to get to hear about Jesus? Who do I need to put in place here so those people can hear about Jesus? Because you're going to go through the whole book of Acts moving forward and you're going to see them thinking about those two things. What are the immediate ramifications of the gospel? What are the eternal ramifications of the gospel? Those are the two things we see over and over and over. So we're in an upwardly mobile city. Most of you will not be here next year at this time. That's not, That sounds morbid. Some of you will not be here next year some of you already know your departure date what are the ramifications of the gospel what are the ramifications for the gospel so let me recap and then we're going to talk about number five and then we're going to put it into practice number one how will you respond to the mission god's given us his mission how will you respond to the mission monday morning Number two, prayer is your first response, not your last resort. We pray. We're people of prayer. Number three, God works through leaders, but leaders follow scripture. Don't trust the leader who doesn't have biblical reasons for doing what they're doing. Dads, as you lead your home, don't do what you feel like doing. Do what God's called you to do. Bible says, train your children up in the way they should go. Not because you hunt or fish, though that's cool. Not because you're a Bolts fan, go Bolts. All right, three o'clock, here we go. All right, Not, not any of that. What does God want for your children? It might not be safe, but it might have eternal consequences for the gospel. Leaders follow scripture. Number four, mission follows failure. God's mercies are new every morning. Mission follows failure, wherever you are. But number five, I want you to think about this in regards to Redeemer City Church. There, there, there's an overlying principle here because Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem, go into that upper room, and wait. And it's not till uh, next week that we're going to look at what happens when the Spirit comes, and it's awesome. But what did they do when they were waiting for a move of God? What are we to do as we're waiting for a move of God? As you share Christ, as you witness, as you call people to join you on this mission. It takes time. What are they doing while they wait for a move of God? There's three things and I want to do them today. Fair enough? They gather... Done. you're here. they gather they unify. isn't it interesting that Luke says that they with one accord were doing something? listen we there's a lot of ideas out there but only one idea matters and that's God's. So they gather Th- that sounds simple right but isn't it easy not to gather? Isn't it easy not to gather? But they gather, they unify, and what did they do? They pray. They pray. So I, I want to I do that with you today. You see, with this many people here, there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening in your world. There's a lot happening in my world. But what I would like for us to do is to pray together. I'm going to ask the band to come up and play Uh, some music for us. But what else I want to do is I'm going to ask our elders, I'm going to ask Kent and Pat, if you'll just stand in the back. Jake and I will be up here. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for the people that aren't here, that might be watching online, wherever they are. Uh, But all of our people, some are traveling, some are sick. uh, But we're going to pray for you. And what I would like you to do is to pray. While you listen to the music That you would pray. Because we're gathered in this place. We need unity. And we need God. If we don't get anything else right. We can unify ourselves. And pray.